For the past three weeks, we have been in a sermon on the Lord's Prayer, um, and we've heard three really fantastic sermons. i got to say, it's a little bit intimidating to preach after the sermons that we've had the past three weeks, um, but I'm going to pull a John here and say, if you have any really big theological questions after today, just email Herschel. <laughs> it's not here, but Herschel at missionvineyard.org, you just send them to him. <laughs> I probably would still say that if he was here, but since he's not... Um, But last week, Herschel talked about the kingdom of God, and he gave us a really good definition of the kingdom, and we got to hear a testimony from Jill Cox about um, her being prayed for and being healed from some um, really significant sort of post-surgical issues, Um, and we, we listened how we can pray for God's kingdom to come now and to lean into God's power for this present time and our situation So today we're going to look at the next line in the Lord's Prayer, which is, Thy will be done. So if there's one thing that I would um, want you to remember today, it would be this. Accepting Jesus' invitation to pray, Thy will be done, is choosing to abide in a loving God that will never change, regardless of how our circumstances do. So we pray this prayer really often. We pray, Thy will be done. And I think it would be really easy for it to become something that we can say and pray without truly thinking about what those words mean, or even sometimes truly meaning the words that we're saying. Sometimes, um, for me, my mouth might be saying, thy will be done, um, but my mind or my emotions are really saying, my will be done. Um, I grew up in a home where... um, My parents were followers of Jesus, and I learned about Jesus at an early age. And so I heard a lot about prayer growing up. I heard a lot about, I was very familiar with verses like, ask and it shall be given, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened. I believed and I was taught that God answers prayers, that miracles happen. But I didn't totally grasp the part about thy will be done. The part where we pray for God's will We pray for his Holy Spirit. And so for me, that resulted in um, prayers at times that sounded a little bit more like uh, hostage negotiations. (laughs) So I would say something, you know, I would pray for something, and maybe the thing I was praying for was a good thing. But if I didn't feel like God was answering, if I didn't feel like that prayer was answered, then I would um, escalate to bargaining God, if you will only do blank, then I will fill in the blank, right? Anyone else ever pray a prayer like that? You can raise your hand. Don't be shy. On Facebook, anybody out there ever pray a prayer like that? Um, And so I would bargain with God in these prayers. And I remember one particular time, I was probably about nine years old and had been hearing about how just pray and we just ask and God answers our prayers and I got it in my head that I was going to pray that God would grant me the ability to physically fly that was really important to me for some reason at nine years old and so I prayed this prayer very earnestly and then in faith I went uh, into the backyard without communicating anything to my parents of course and pulled out a ladder from the garage like an a-frame ladder climbed up on the ladder on the very top jumped from the ladder to our trampoline, and then just launched myself off, um, believing that I was going to fly. 
and I did not, I did not fly. Um, <laughs> thankfully, I was also not seriously injured. So kids, don't try that at home, okay? <laughs> um, but I remember feeling just really confused and disheartened um, because I prayed for this and, and then I didn't fly. And um, what I had was just some incomplete theology there. And it had created this expectation of my will be done, that I could just pray for my will to be done and God would just grant it. And this is not something that is isolated to a child's prayer. That's sort of a comical example, but it's easy to pray these kinds of prayers as adults as well. And sometimes they sound something like this. God, I just can't A, so I need you to B. Or God, please fill in the blank. I need this. Just make that happen for me. Or God, if you will just do this thing, then I will do this other thing. Or sometimes we go right to like the, the bargaining guilt trip, like mother of all prayers, like where we go, God, I've been obedient and I have obeyed your word and I have followed you. Can't you just make this thing happen for me? Now, I'm not suggesting that we pray fake prayers or that we cut off our, our heart or our emotions or our desires when we communicate um, with the Father. The extreme of this would be to manage our emotions, right? Just don't pray for anything big because then we set ourselves up where we won't have to face any disappointment, right? If you don't ask, you're not disappointed. That's not what I'm saying. Our prayers shouldn't avoid faith or hope. Um, we're praying to the living God of the universe. So we need to pray in faith and in hope. But it's a both and. And Jesus modeled this for us really well, this need to yield ourselves to the will of the Father, even as we honestly state to him and pray to him and communicate to him the desires that come from our own heart and our own will. So when we pray, thy will be done, what are we really praying then? I've been reading a book by um, Dallas Willard, and I really like the way that he describes this, so I'm going to paraphrase it because I'm no Dallas Willard. But he says, when we're praying, thy will be done, we're not praying God's will into existence in the sense that God does not need us to check the box and give our stamp of approval on his will. We're not saying, okay, God, I checked this over. It looks good. Go ahead with your will, right? He doesn't need that from us. That's not what it is. What we're actually doing is we are praying for God's will to take over. We're praying a prayer of surrender that in all parts of our personal life, our social life, our political realm, our world, our country, anywhere that God's will is currently excluded, that it would break into those areas, that it would be there. We're welcoming it. We're surrendering to it. We're saying we're going to act on this in our daily existence by faith. So how do we get there? How do we get from my will be done to thy will be done? What does it require from us? What has to change in us in order to pray that prayer and really invoke it into our daily existence? I think there's a few things. The first thing is, thy will be done requires risk. So for those of you here today and on Facebook, what are some of your favorite types of risks to take? 
Just shout them out if you have some. Anybody who likes to take risks, what are your favorite types of risks to take? All right, another ladder situation. I might have set a bad example there. <laughs> yes. Doing something without permission. Oh, that, that is a risky decision, that's true. Speeding. Speeding, oh. That's, yes, risky. Uh, I'll just tell you, for myself personally, the types of risks that I like to take are none at all. I am not a risk taker by nature. It's not something that I, uh, it's not a comfortable zone for me. Um, and I am married to someone who likes to take all the risks. <laughs> He's raising his hand back there. So chances are, if you are like me and you're not a risk taker, you likely have a relationship with someone in your life, a significant person who probably is, whether that's a spouse, a friend, a family member, it just seems to work that way. Of course, not all risks are equal, right? There are types of behaviors that are risky that are irresponsible or just unwise, and that's not the kind I'm talking about. But when we're taking risks in obedience to God's will, in obedience to God's work, there's something really encouraging um, and inspiring about someone who's able to do this well. And there's a great example in the scripture that connects risk and thy will be done. We're gonna look at that this morning. It's a little long, so I'm gonna give you guys just a little bit of backstory. It's from the book of Daniel. And the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, had this like 100 foot tall, gold statue built. And he issued this decree that whenever they would play these certain instruments, everybody would stop whatever they were doing and bow down and worship this statue. And if they refused, they would be thrown into a blazing furnace. So on this day, the instruments played and there were three men who did not bow down. And so some of the astrologers immediately felt that it was their responsibility to go straight to the king and inform him that there were some people not obeying his decree. And so we're going to pick up here in Daniel chapter 3, verse 12. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who you have put in charge of the province of Babylon, and they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, and they do not worship the gold statue you've set up. So the king flew into a rage, and he ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. And when they were brought in, King Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Is it true that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had this reply. They said, O oh Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, 
we want to make it clear to you that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you've set up. And so the king was furious, and he, he was just in a rage. He ordered that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than it usually would be. And he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. And so they did this. And then in verse 24, after they've been thrown into the furnace, suddenly the king jumps up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. So the king approaches the furnace as close as he could get with the temperature that it was, and he calls the men to come out. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego step out of the furnace, and they are completely untouched by the fire. Not a particle of their clothing, not a hair on their head, nothing. And so then the king does three things. First of all, he praises the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He praises them for rescuing his servants and for sending an angel to rescue them. Then he issues another decree and says, anyone who speaks out against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will face a really dire consequence. And then thirdly, he promotes them. He moves them to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. So not only were they rescued and protected by God, but they were actually received reward after this event. And it's a really incredible account from scripture. But in the midst of this amazing experience, the, the one small line that really just pierces me is that they say, but even if he doesn't. I can't think of really a greater picture of risk in submission to God's will. These men had faith, and they believed that God could rescue them, and they acknowledged, but even if he doesn't, even if this doesn't go our way, we will still be obedient. Even if he doesn't, this risk is worth it. This wasn't arrogance on their part. They weren't being reckless or cavalier. They knew exactly what this risk could cost them. And they still said, thy will be done. They weren't bargaining with God. They were abiding. The second thing I think required in living a life of thy will be done is obedience. And if we want to look at the best example of obedience, we don't have to look any farther than Jesus. But for the rest of us, sometimes obedience, it's a bit of a struggle, right? What are some things here for all of you here and all of you out there in Facebook? What are some things that you might struggle with being obedient in? I'll share, I'll share a personal example while you think on that for a second. For me, probably anything having to do with my children, right? I'm a mother of five children. And so you want to see somebody go mama bear, like zero to 60, it happens fast, guys. 
And so anytime there's something that I feel like is a threat or something where I have to really trust my, with my children, it's sometimes hard for me to be obedient in that. Ooh, when someone tells you you have to, that's a good one. Anyone else have one they'd like to share? Keeping your mouth shut. Yes. Amen. I have that one as well. When the Lord uh, spoke to me one day in my yard and he said, Man, would you give all this back to me if I asked you to? I said, Yes, Lord, if I know that if you ask me, I will. And I went in the house and I was so excited with God, I felt like speaking to me. I said, Joyce, guess what God just told me to do? Are you nuts? <laughs> And he gets done more greater and deeper things because we trusted him. That's amazing. So God asking you to give everything back to him and being obedient in that. Well, towards the end of his life here on earth, Jesus had a conversation with the father before he was taken away by the soldiers and eventually sentenced to death and crucified. At this point, uh, he had finished the Last Supper with his disciples, and then he went with them to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray and wait. And so in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 36, Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He then went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus knew exactly what was about to happen. And as fully man, he was going to feel and experience every bit of the torture, the beatings, the crucifixion, and ultimately the death. And he prayed for another option. But his heart's desire was still to be obedient to his father's will to this sacrifice that ultimately is the thing that allows each of us to be forgiven and redeemed. And this is one of my favorite passages surrounding the death of Jesus. But can you imagine if Jesus had prayed something like, okay, Father, I'm going to die on a cross, but I know I'll be raised from the dead after three days. I know in the end that we win. So that's no biggie. Let's do this. I can't really 
relate to that mentality. I can't even really imagine it if Jesus had said something like that because it's so far away from my human experience. There's something so significant about this tension and this struggle. It wasn't easy for Jesus. And he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus wasn't bargaining. He was abiding. In order to engage this kind of living that says, thy will be done in obedience, in risk, it requires us to surrender our hearts to the belief that God is good. And that's what I want to invite you into today. There's a British theologian named Adam Clark, and he describes God like this. And I love the way he writes because he just uses all the descriptive words. He says, in a word, a being who, from his infinite wisdom, cannot err or be deceived, and from his infinite goodness, can do nothing but what is eternally just and right and kind. I want to share a, a personal story with you guys, and some of you have probably heard parts of this before. In 2015, my family and I had just moved to San Antonio, and we were in a time of a lot of transition. We decided we really wanted to have one more child. We had three, and so we got pregnant, and we were so excited, and several months down the road into the pregnancy, we lost the baby. And the doctor said, you guys can try again. We don't know of any you know, real medical issue that this should have resulted from. So we got pregnant again. And the same thing happened. Several months down the road, we lost the second baby. And these were what the doctors called later term losses. Um, we had already told people that we were gonna have a child. We had already heard the heartbeat multiple times. We had already started making lists to name these babies. And that was probably the darkest time of my life, um, emotionally and spiritually. And I was so angry. I don't remember ever feeling so angry. I was angry at myself and at my body for feeling like it had just failed in this way. I was angry at the doctors, uh, but most of all, I was angry with God. And I questioned how this could be a part of God's plan, a part of his will. And at some point in processing this anger and grief, God showed me that this part of my anger directed towards him was because there was some place in my heart that didn't fully believe that he is good. That he is a good God and a good father. In my head, I said, of course God is good. And I had heard that and I had believed that. I thought I had believed that fully my whole life. But my heart kept echoing, how could a good God and a good father allow something like this to happen? And God revealed this to me 
and just sat with me in it and walked with me through this with so much gentleness and so much kindness in the way that only a really good parent could do. There was no shame. There was no condemnation. There was no feeling of being reprimanded. I just felt God's presence and his kindness and his gentleness so significantly. And I realized that I was basing God's identity on my current circumstances instead of basing my circumstances on the character and identity of God. Similarly to how I had learned to to bargain when I prayed a bit as a child, I was getting it upside down. I thought that since this horrible thing had happened to me twice, that must say something about God's identity. Instead of seeing that God's identity as a good father and a good God was unalterable. And I was walking through a really horrible thing that happened to me. Maybe for you it's not a miscarriage. Maybe some of you have walked through extreme financial struggle. Maybe you've walked through health issues. Maybe you've walked through difficult relationship challenges with a spouse or a significant other or a family member. Maybe it's this pandemic. Maybe this has been your darkest time. And maybe like me, you've started to question God's identity a bit as a result of the circumstances that you're in and to question, is God a good God? Maybe we're, we get it a little bit upside down in thinking that God's identity is based on our experiences and our circumstances instead of seeing our experiences and circumstances through the lens of the true character and identity of God. I don't know why I lost those babies still. Medically, there was no real reason or explanation that they could give me. Still five years later, I don't have an answer for that. And I still grieve those babies. But I know and I believe wholeheartedly that God is good. It's his unalterable character. It's just who he is. He's not capable of being anything else. And so if God is good, then his will is good. And so I can rest in that, and you can rest in that. Even when the struggles of our present age are overwhelming. In Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Instead of bargaining with God for what we want, we abide in the love of God and we believe 
that even if it doesn't turn out the way we want it to, that his will for us is still good and pleasing and perfect. We believe in and we put our faith more strongly in his love than we do in the conditions of our circumstances. And that's what allows us to pray, thy will be done, even when we don't have all the answers, even when we experience challenging medical issues, financial struggles, relationship conflict, even when there's loss, even when we're in the middle of a global pandemic, even when we can choose to accept Jesus' invitation to pray thy will be done, choosing to abide in a loving God that will never change regardless of how our circumstances do. So I think we're, we're going to go into a time of ministry.